Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Van Rothenberg. US Open is over. It's all done. We have a new number one on the men's side, a stronger number one on the women's side. We have no more Serena Williams on tour. And we have joining us from beautiful, sunny looking Scotland. It's Timani Carriol. Spain, sub Saharan Africa, and Scotland correspondent. No, I think we have Scotland's already taken by Stu Frazier or something. But Timani, welcome back to the show. How was is, how is your U.S. Open and your trip home, or trip to Scotland, where you've never been before, shockingly? Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, my, my trip in the U.S. was very long. It felt like I was there for for years rather mm-hmm. than weeks. But it was it was good. We, we, we saw a lot. We, we, in the, in, both in the men's and the women's, we, we saw a lot. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm making my, despite being born in, in the, in the UK and, and living there all my life, I'm making my, my Scotland debut. Yeah. So can't complain. Good. Well, hopefully it, you enjoy it. I, I've enjoyed Scotland a couple of times I've been. And let's talk about this tennis. It's a couple of days after they open. We're recording this because of some travel stuff and, general whatever and so let's keep this relatively broad instead of getting too too grand on this tournament but there's still a lot to talk about um i want to talk first about the uh women's side of the tournament let's start with that iga shvantec wins her second grand slam title of the year first woman since angelique kerber in 2016 to win two grand slam titles in the same calendar year uh follows up her french open title with a u.s open run we talked about shvantec at pretty good length to in the draw show and about her comments on the balls and just sort of how it was, you know, kind of strange that she was sort of projecting this doubt and this discomfort to the field with her comments. Um, and I would say for the first half of this tournament, and maybe even more, she didn't look super comfortable. Um, but it was one of those things where and I feel like you've seen players do this before. Like if you can just sort of grind through, eventually the winds give you confidence. You really, I think in tennis, you actually can't fake it until you make it a bit in terms of playing within a tournament and getting momentum because she kept herself in the tournament long enough and, you know, came back from a really scratchy performance against like Eula Niemeyer in the fourth round where she was down a set and just getting beaten pretty thoroughly uh, before coming back in that match. Um, you know, by the time she got to the final, I was like, well, she's in a final again. So she wins finals. And that was kind of what it was. And she was once again, an absolute steamroller in that final. And I felt like Shepard did incredibly well to hang on and get, uh, you know, the two games in the first set, honestly, were, were hard work. And then getting the second set all the way to a tiebreak, I was very impressed by. Um, but yeah, what did you think about Shiontek and, and her sort of leveling up and shaking off uh, her own uh, discomfort in this way? Yeah, um, given the, discu- her, the her obvious discomfort, you know, with the balls, with the faster courts and the conditions, which she speaked about at length, she was very honest in her, her press conferences about not really trusting herself on on hard courts in these in these conditions compared to on clay where where obviously she it, everything just feels natural but i think it was actually a mate in in some way her most important win just because yeah at, at the at the french open into 2020 as we know she destroyed the world dropped 28 games didn't lose a set in in her second Slam or, or, or in at the French Open this year, although she, the way she tells it, it was it was really difficult to deal with all the 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 pressure, the 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 streak essentially. She was she still she she lost one set. She she had one very difficult match match and that was that was all. 
Whereas here, she, as you said, she didn't play well. Uh, she was struggling at times, but she found a way. That, that was the, 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 that fourth round match you mentioned, and then also against Sabalenka in in the semi final when she was yeah. down that, twice down a break in the third set, down four two in in the third set, and from from two four she hit one on forced error. She locked down her game. She she, she found a way through, and so it, it's one thing being able to to win at your best and it's quite remarkable how, how just how, how consistent throughout the streak and the you know the, the, the 37 match winning streak just how many of those matches have been one-sided all the I think she's on is it 18 bagels now 19 bagels I 19 it, can, yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it goes up every every tournament but just to see her come through these tough matches just as shows another side to her and and if you can win when you're not at your best then you're going to win more and more slams and she's now on three she's she's now i think it's it's, it's really impressive that she's she's now over 10,000 points she's on 10,365 the only yeah. person who's who's done that in the past decade um is, is Serena Williams and yeah. and the before that it was Azarenka and Sharapova did it, but the points were there were more points on offer then. The, the WTA changed their point system slightly, so so it's just really um, it's just very very just the whole thing is just impressive to me and how she's just established herself. She has over double. Obviously, Jabra didn't um, get points for Wimbledon, but she has over two times the points of the world number two right now, which is crazy. Yeah, no, she's absolutely put herself in this category. I think she is definitely the most dominant player we've seen uh, in in terms. I think consistency is part of dominance. Um, she is the most dominant player we've seen since Serena went on maternity leave. I yep. mean, she she's just that. I think that's tough to argue or give any nomination. I think Bardi, you know, didn't play a very heavy schedule and wasn't, you know, and had some some took some bad losses and potentially and 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 you know. Uh, and Osaka has won four Grand Slams, but had and hit number one at some point also, but did not, you know, do much ever on the clay or grass. So it was very much not a factor in those competitively, really. Um, and yeah, just wasn't the sort of weekend we got reliable person that Chianta has become. And granted, Chianta, yes, did have two rough tournaments in Canada and and Cincinnati coming to this tournament, and and arguably, you know, her her loss in in Warsaw to although the loss to Garcia aged really well because Garcia has such an amazing summer. Um, in a lot of ways, that doesn't look so bad. Uh, but yeah, but she's she looks great, and she looks like very much like it's her her era, and it's sort of a question of you know time to get see people getting carried away with how many you know Grand Slams Shanta can win someday. I think it's sort of the conversation coming out of this this tournament in a lot of ways because she looks very comfortable, you know, at both hard court slams and at the French Open. Um, grass is a different sort of level for her to unlock, and I do think she. Her game did not look like it worked on grass very well in in Wimbledon this year. Although I do think that a lot of that was just sort of her the mindset, not my yeah hangover for sure on the streak and just weighing on her. I'm interested to see how how much she can dedicate to. It's, I mean, it's tough to to switch to being having grass prep when you're going reliably deep at the French Open every year. You know, so yeah. maybe there maybe there's some year where she loses early at the French and then she can has more time to get on the grass and really give it a shot. Um, so that'll be that'll remain a challenge for her. But but I do think that Iga looks like a very sturdy number one, and I don't see anybody you know 
mentioned Jabert. Jabert's had a great, great year winning Madrid and making these two semifinals. I don't see Jabert particularly close to Iga um, in, you know, catching her in terms of level and being able to be that kind of level consistently. I, I was impressed, like I said before, to how Jabert was able to make the final competitive and, and watchable because it, I definitely had, like, you know, double bagel type fears early on in that match just with how amazing Shanta's been. And she has double bageled a final before against Pliskova in Rome last year. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is the Iga era we're entering. And it's just going to be interesting to see what she can do with it, how the field continues to react to her, what her profile is sort of like as she becomes a more, you know, undeniable star in the sport. Uh, you know, I saw a very crude metric, but I saw that she, you know, passed a million Instagram followers this week and was only the fourth woman in the top 100 to do that. You know, there's like, you know, there's going to be a certain level of, of attention and, uh, yeah, just sort of pressure and, and spotlight that's going to come for her and it's going to be different. And I think that she seems welcome to handle it, but you never know, like, what, what kind of turns her life is going to gonna take from here. Yeah. And and I think that the more, obviously, especially with, with, with women's tennis, people are obsessed with, with marketability and, and, and how much a, a player and a, a top player cuts through to the general audience. But I think the more she wins, the more she's in your face, it, it she's unavoidable and, and her profile will build. And, and yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see just yeah, how, how that plays out. And with, with Jabir, I agree. Um, she's not particularly close. And I, I think this was really her, her, her chance and, and her, her moment to, to, to try to narrow that gap. She, I thought Jabir was really, re- I was really, really impressed with Jabir going, going into the final, her run to the final. Just, I, I thought she seemed a lot more assured and, and confident in the, in the moment. She really, mm-hmm. but in, in the big moments, in, in this, the, the semi-final against, um, against Garcia, Caroline Garcia is the, the obvious match where, where Garcia started. Obviously, Garcia was the player of the summer, 13-match winning streak. She started a bit nervous, and and Jabir just didn't let her breathe and didn't yeah. let her back in at, at the end. And I was, that, I thought that was really. Although people were were stuck on Garcia, I, 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 for me, part of me expected, knowing Garcia's history, that at some point there would be some kind of me- mental lapse. But Jabir just ensured that she couldn't get back into the match. Um, and then in the final against. Uh, Shriantek, as you said, she, 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 it was, it was very difficult. It, it was so very difficult. Shriantek was playing extremely well. The, the level that we, we, we know, she, we see from her in finals constantly. And Jabir was just struggling to keep up, having to take big, big, big risks, bigger risks than she normally would because of Shriantek's defense. And anytime she didn't, the ball just flew past her. Yeah, it was, she had to be hitting lines like the yeah. the, the, the level of tennis. And I think Court and I both said the same sort of thing on Twitter at the time, like the level of tennis that it took when when Jabir got on the board, I think, to win the fourth game, the match to get to one three. It was like, wow, like she won a game that was unbelievable, like yeah. redlining tennis, yeah. and like treeing. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. like if, it, if that's the level it takes to win a game off of Shiantek, like yikes. And I think actually it kind of did most of the way, like Shiantek really didn't give her even in the second set, didn't didn't dip. She dipped for sure from the first set, but like not to the point where it was like a level matchup. It still felt like Jabir really had to play elite tennis to be winning 
as much many games as she did in this match. That was my thought on it. And, and, like, and, and I think that has to be on some level discouraging for Jabir to like to feel like you went out there and played unbelievably well and like still on the scoreboard didn't come that close. Yeah, the the, the it was I I was laughing after the when she broke back for she went down three love and then broke back for three two and in that game she hit four winners two of them were like on the run you know hell mary kind of down the line winners that yeah have have ten percent chance of going in and that just showed how difficult it was I, I do think that the level did drop from both and she had her, after she really impressively dug herself back in. She she had her chance. She she was I think it was four four or fifteen forty on Shrandek serve had had a, another I think another break point there and yeah had the chance to continue that momentum and and really push her but she couldn't. Then in the tie break she she moved her I think Shrandek was quite sh- shaky in the tie break and she she moved herself to five four on her serve but she couldn't get it done. She didn't serve well enough and she was just tight in in the moments and in the big moments and so that's and what could have been a way for her to to narrow the gap to me I I, I left the match just thinking that it's it's as is the gap is as big as it was and it's it, it the, the the rankings right now as I said the points it they they don't lie no no, they don't. And and Shantek is that is that player. And I guess what do you think it's going to be like for the tour to have? I think it's already been that way this year because I think the thirty seven match win streak already did really establish her. But this is two Grand Slams now, and so you know she's not just winning as much as you know. Due respect to the Doha and New Wells Miami streak, but the, the two Grand Slams in a year I think is as much of a statement in some ways as the uh, the the racking up all those thousands. Has yeah. been. Just we have oh, seen players sure, yeah. in the in the past win a bunch of thousands without breaking through, or yeah. a few thousands anyway, like Sabalenka or something. But anyway, uh, what what do you think is next for for Iga and the tour? Like, how do you see like 2023 to get sort of predicting? It's like another year of of Iga. What's it going to take for her to to be caught? Or and and how you know? I saw someone tweet. I forget who it was. Um, so I say like, well, now I have no doubt that Iga's gonna hit double digits and slams in her career. I saw saw that and I was like, oh yeah. I was say I definitely like that thought, but also like that's a long way away. Yeah. Like yeah. seven more Grand Slams. It's like slow down. Like she's won three, and I think this happens with a lot. Of, this certainly has happened with Alcaraz. You know, some I guess yeah. game message is like, he's gonna is he gonna catch Federer and Nadal? It's like they have twenty. He has <laughs> one. Like, yeah. let's slow down. Like, I, I, so I don't know. I, I understand people getting excited, um, and I do think that you know that's justified in some ways. Um, but at the same time, I remember this conversation happening about Naomi Osaka after she won the Australian Open in 2021. Like, it yeah. was really just sort of like she was racking them up, and now you just never know what what's around the corner in tennis. I mean, it's so much has to be staying. It's so hard to win a Grand Slam, and so to win it seven more times. I think it doesn't get. I don't think it gets easier. Maybe it does yeah. on some level. Maybe it does on some level for her the French Open. Like I could certainly see her. If you told me she would win, you know, six or seven French Opens in her career, like that sounds right to me on some level potentially. I, but I don't know. I mean, I, I still. Yeah. But it's still, I agree, it's, still but I, it's still really hard. Yeah. It's still really. I always will take the under on these kind of on these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, me, and me too. I I think that Serena, Novak, uh, Roger, and and Rafa have all completely distorted 
people's the way people view Grand Slams and, and how difficult it is to win them. When when I was younger, and I'm sure you're 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 older than me, so you know even more. Andre Agassi, Andre Agassi's slam count was eight incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, but like that that alone that itself was that's all time great level. You and know? it still is. It, it still is. Like I just think that there's like a, a you know I think yeah these big three plus Serena kind of completely and you could put Steffi Graf in there too because she was obviously before but like Steffi Graf was in an era when people weren't really counting the Grand Slams as much it wasn't the currency uh, for the most part for her career now it is and yeah I think it's gonna take a recalibration and I think that you know I think we had I feel like I, we had that with with Osaka I think when Osaka hit her four Grand Slams in a pretty short period of time I think people were like wow like four Grand Slams that's really really good you know like I do think no. that people like weren't like okay well that's only you know less than 25 percent of serena's like i didn't hear that so much i um so i hope that uh the same thing happens with with iga and just you know she's i think osaka's the next target for her in terms of records like being the most active player to the extent that we don't for this conversation consider venus williams an active player because she has seven um you know yeah i think that's sort of a more reasonable target and that's a, a totally fair mark to be the best since serena i think it's a good reset period um, and that would go for Alcaraz too, you know, if, when and he can get there pretty quickly. Obviously, cause yeah. I don't think anybody else is more than one in his generation. It's just Medvedev and, and team. So, uh, and that, he's not really even the same generation as team, meaningfully. But uh, the team's ten years older than him. I know, I know, I realize that. <laughs> yes. So, um, in terms of just being younger than the big four is what I really meant there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, but I, yeah, I, yeah. But I, I just say about Shrontek, it's what what is clear is that she's just positioned herself really well. To continue to to be successful on clay, clearly it, that's where she's she can dominate on on the surface, and and then it just depends on how how much she Im, improves and and continue and just again uh, going back to the the theme of trust, just how, how how normal the sensation of winning big matches on 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 hard courts and and perhaps on grass as well becomes for her i think the, the the crazy thing is that she's been this dominant yeah i still think she has massive room to improve her game she can improve her serve she can become a you know better at the net a, a more an even more complete player and and if she does then it's going to be extremely tough for the the tour I, I do really really hope that players see this as a challenge and step up instead of just beca- becoming her punching bag you know it just becoming resigned to the fact that she's so much better than everyone this should be you know considering how how the last few years have gone with with some players not necessarily being consistent well some players not being consistent and and struggling to to piece together results at all levels and over the all levels will surfaces over the course of the whole year this should be a reality check i think that it is, it clearly is possible to, to do all these things, and that's what players should be striving for. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see not only, yeah, how she, not only how this affects her, but how, as you said, how she changes, how her success changes the tour. You mentioned something, you sort of alluded to this sort of marketability conversation that happens in women's tennis. I think that Iga is at a level also where anyone who gives a shit about tennis will be really impressed by her, right? Like, she's yeah, won so much, yeah. and in such convincing fashion. 
that she is a bona fide tennis champion and that is enough on some level yeah. right like she's not like absolutely she's not she's not doing anything and you saw this even just you know with like i said the million instagram followers with you know like hugh jackman or whatever making like a little video like about her like that you know people respect winners and people can respect dominance and it's so obvious with what she's doing that she is there and she's you know in her own different way incredibly engaging and quirky and fun and memeable and you know especially you know off court i think actually she's she's like really entertaining press conferences and she's very expressive in her way yeah, and sure. I, and i and i think that you know and i saw her even just like her she was on the today show and one of the american morning tv shows very for a brief hit you know with the crew there and she got asked about you know wearing the ukraine ribbon or something along the lines of ukraine support and she had a great ready answer for that like yeah. i think that she's someone who is very interesting to people who are tastemakers in the world in this way and I, I think that the sort of thing that everyone has to be to be marketable has to be some sort of and that's a word you know use it's a very loaded word but to be some sort of like uh you know typical genie bouchard type is not it's, it's really kind of passe in some ways actually yeah i i, I don't think that's the landscape anymore and i think that that ego with what she does again the winning is just gonna break through because it's this much yeah yeah. And and you don't become a star by winning a Grand Slam anymore necessarily. You really don't. Um, with, with women's tennis, with how that currency has been kind of devalued, honestly, in the last five years, there's there's some Slam champs out there who are not bona fide like stars or superstars certainly in the sport. Um, and you you guys can figure out who they are if you look at a list. I don't need to enumerate who they are, <laughs> but. But Iga's there, and certainly in, in Poland too. She's, I'm sure she's a, a huge show there. That's a big market. That's yeah. a country of what, yeah. like 40 million people in Poland. It's a, it's a big country. So um, that's probably off, but Polish people hopefully within some margin, margin of error, 40 million. Uh, yeah, I, I think that she's, yeah, she's got a lot of interesting stuff about her, and she's a an interesting muse, and yeah, I think that, I think she's in great shape, and I think that that she's a very uh, workable, you know the sort of uh, guiding light for the tour in terms of sure. Okay. This is what the tour looks like under Iga. Like now we can reset in a way that Barty kind of had, but Barty had for a bit, but was not again, not consistently there long enough. Anyway, I'm, I'm probably going to keep on saying this every time I come on this podcast for the next 10 years, but what watching that, that final just made me again, just sad that we never got to see Barty Shriantek at, at their best. We, watching how she, she, just how hard it was for Jabir to keep, keep up, it just made me imagine what that would look like with Barty yeah. on the other side. And we'll never see it. So unless Barty comes back. So unless Barty comes here we back. are. And I'll throw I'll throw Osaka in there too. I mean Osaka. Oh for sure, yeah. Osaka. I saw a chart of their three stats of like the things that Barty and and Shriantek have done and Osaka all together, and it was interesting. And I think I retweeted it if you want to look for it. It's like a three, it's like a little basic Excel sheet. But each of them has, I think, has won, I believe, I believe, has won more than half of the Grand Slams when they've reached the quarterfinals or better. And because they haven't been in the same Grand Slam quarterfinals as each other. So, you know, they just sort of were these ships passing in the night in this way. And yeah, I would hope that certainly Osaka can step back up and make that a rivalry because that's one of the most plausible people to really challenge Iga is Naomi, even if she is, uh, had a, had a pretty lackluster summer by any real stretch of definitions in terms of health yeah. and only winning two matches since making the Miami final. Um, 
she's in the mix, you know, whether it's someone like Zhang Qinwen who steps up and is in the mix or someone who, like Yulin Niemeyer. I mean, hell, Yulin Niemeyer looked like a possible top 10 player at this tournament, I felt like, in terms of just what her level looks like. Or Jabur can find another way to level up even more. Or Sabalenka can, you know, keep getting better or whatever it is. You know, like there's, that's some recency bias in terms of who I'm naming there. But there's, you know, people who can be in a Coco Golf, you know, like the various... Czech teenagers, like there's there's a there's people who are in the mix potentially. I actually thought that one of the toughest challenges for for um, you got to go back to, to looking at Osaka Straw could have been uh, Danielle Collins, who I don't think it's the long he's older. I don't think it's the longest window to be a, a long term contender for Iga potentially, but Collins did beat Iga pretty handily in that Australian Open semifinal and has a game that I think it's matched up really well against against Iga's, um, and so. Collins lost in three sets in the fourth round to Sabalenka. That could have been her semifinal, potentially. Um, anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's an interesting time. One other player I want to mention in the women's draw, um, in terms of people who made it deepish, is Jess Pagula, who reached the quarterfinals, uh, lost three and six to Shantek in a match that I thought was actually a really, really good win for Shantek because that was coming off the Niemeyer win. I sort of said before the match, I thought it'd be a breakthrough win for whoever won that match because... I think these conditions were much more Pagula friendly. The low zipping sort of courts, the light balls. I think these are very good conditions for Pagula and Shiontek still had not seemed comfortable. And I think that was kind of, for me, the match where she sort of unlocked, like being able to to overcome that. And Pagula, it should be said, played pretty bad in a lot of stretches of that was, match. Yeah. It was disappointing from her. She started really well. I think she was up early break, she up 3-1, and then like barely won points for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, but Shiontek... Uh, is the winner there, but shout out to Jess Pagula, who is a top fiver, um, and like really deservedly so when you look at her results and just has lived her seat at almost every big tournament. Like yeah. in this era of she's like the <laughs> rich woman's Mertens in some ways, where she like always does what she's expected to do, but but the bar she keeps raising the bar and she keeps meeting that bar by being now like, oh, she's number eight, she's gonna make the quarterfinals. Like it's been that kind of reliability from, from Pagula this year. And that's been very rare on tour. Yeah. So shout out to Pagula for just being yeah. a, a pro and, and being that person. Yeah, I think the, but clearly the, the next step for her is to, to win more titles at any level, yeah. really, because she's, I think she only had one title, right? Washington. Or, yeah. Um, and That's the same kind of thing with soccer, yeah, where they're like a top player, but they don't actually win titles. It's interesting, like, you know, titles are what they are. This is kind of a Casper Rude conversation. Because Kasparud became, was, if Tiafa wins that fifth set, Kasparud is number one, having never won anything bigger than a 250. Yeah. So that was very close to happening uh, in men's tennis. And uh, I do want to talk one more woman, or two more women, actually, but then we can switch to the men. But yeah, I do think that it's sort of interesting, like, what does a title mean? I mean, we'll talk about Rude in a bit. Well, let's say that for the Rude conversation, because I do think he's worth talking yeah. about um, at, on his own. Um one woman I want to give a brief shout out to too before going to our our, our exiting goat as our last part. I didn't see this live. I wasn't watching this match. I didn't commentate on it afterwards. But gosh, the scene of Taylor Townsend addressing Patrick McEnroe on court, the audacity and well, I don't even know what the word is for this. The lack of self-awareness of whoever put McEnroe in that position for that match um, is shocking. And I was glad that Taylor 
who's been great. I did a long interview with her uh, for Racket for their, I think it's on their website during the French Open on her comeback. And she said she's been feeling fitter than ever. And she made the doubles final with Katie McNally, lost to Krichkova and Siniakova. Um, anyway, I just thought that was a remarkable sort of like, you know, closing scene of some sort of movie where the guy, you know, gets to tell off the person and sort of like pretty woman style, like big mistake, huge or something to, to, to Patrick McElroy. It would have been even better if she had the trophy in her hands in that moment. But like, I thought that was just something that deserved comment on because uh, people can read if they don't know about Patrick McEnroe and, and Taylor Townsend and the issues she went through with her being judged by the USTA for her, her weight as a, as a teenager. Um, and Mac, Patrick McEnroe was very much sort of the face of that decision when that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just thought that was... Did you see that? Did you have thoughts on, on Taylor Townsend? Yeah, I saw it. And uh, I'm not surprised by it. I, I think she's very... I, just, I, I think she's... She's bold and she'll, she'll, especially these days now, she she's she says how she feels and she's not afraid. And, yeah, she took the high very... road more than she could have. I mean, she could have been yeah, a bunch sure, of yeah. Yeah. yeah, but she made her point. And she also, I saw she retweeted someone who, who explicitly, or not retweeted on, on Instagram, someone mentioned McEnroe and the fact that she did that. And she she posted it on her page and it, it was very pointed and it, it's great. It was it's, it's, it's great to see, just uh, it's great to see her back as well. Just in general, uh, she's she's doing extremely well, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing as, as she made clear, we'll, we'll be seeing a lot more of her in in the big events going forward. So yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, Taylor's an interesting one because she's never, honestly, never really played like a full full time schedule. She plays this like very sort of selective schedule, and I'm, I'm guessing that probably won't change now that she has a, a kid, um, in some ways. Like, but she sort of picks her spots, and like she didn't play on grass this year at all, uh, which was sort of strategic to get in a training block for for the U.S. So I don't know if she'll ever be able to ramp up to being a full time player in a more in a more full sense. I would love to see her be a full top hundred player, you know, and play a few seasons at that level, like you know. She's someone not unlike Shaver in some ways, actually, where like you know they have the the hand skills and the talent, and just to see if they can actually take those those really interesting creative gifts and turn it into being and and streamline it into being you know world beating yeah. tennis. Um, yeah. It's similar similar sort of challenge, I think, in some ways. I mean, I think Townsend's almost more all court and serving volley ish and does different things, but not the worst comparison i think in some ways for what a template that she could try to follow uh, would be uh all right so that leaves the one other woman on our agenda who dominated the first week of this tournament and took everybody on a big old ride serena williams was the story of this us open i think she's still the story of the us open honestly i think she's still what it's remembered for um and we talked about her pre-tournament and i have said this even i admit this i was nervous for Serena after we were together in, in Cincinnati seeing her get just sort of embarrassed I think is a fair word to use on some level by by Emma Raducanu in that match getting bagled uh leaving the court and saying love. a war four in love and that four was kind of generous even like the match was not close Serena looked slow Serena looked uh old honestly she looked she looked out of shape and it was an awkward moment for the crowd being like, Oh, this is like, who was really there to see her. And it just seemed like, yikes. Like, why did she come back if this was it? And there was real talk and I wasn't the only one people saying like, should she play the U S open or should she just play doubles? Like, should she spare herself the possible embarrassment, honestly? And, and, and because we know embarrassment because 
she's so has so much pride in herself because we know this is not what she wants. You know, like she does care about winning. She does care about bringing herself on. It's not like she's not someone who I think is ever going to be content to go out there and sort of be like a Leighton Hewitt character. Just, you know, another old guy giving a, a wave and, you know, doing endless farewell tours. That's not Serena. And so Serena plays her tournament. She gets her draw. She gets Donka Kovinich first and plays okay in that match. She looked better than in Cincinnati, but she didn't look amazing. But it's one of those, again, like I think it's accelerated Serena. One of those fake until you make it things. Like you knew like once she had a win under her belt and then she gets and that Contivate in the second round, like that was an interesting match. I thought that could I thought Contivate could go out there and beat her two and two. I thought that was on the table as an option. Um but Serena was there and ready and that match was and that match and the next match against Samuel match, the tennis was, I thought, really good. Yeah. Like it was really good tennis from Serena Williams, and it was a really cool thing to have her do herself justice like that, you know, and it took a hell of an effort from Alan Tomjanovich in the third round to beat her. Um, and so Serena go- Williams goes, goes out beating the number two player in the world. And yes, everyone knows Contevet is not, you know, the best t- number two in the world by any stretch, probably not a top 20 top two in the world in history, but uh, what a, uh, yeah. Wow. What, what a moment. You know, honestly, I th- I thought it was great. I thought it was kind of fantastic and perfect and, and great. I-, I thought Serena's whole run was, yeah, really good. And I thought she was, I think she seemed to appreciate it and seemed to enjoy it and was riding the ride and was good in press. And yeah, I thought it was wonderful. I, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was great. Yeah, it was, it was great. She, she did play very well against, against Contovate. I, I did, uh, so after the first round of the match, I, I also was just just nervous, just not sure what what we we're going to get from her. But there were enough positive things from from her first her win over Danka Kovinic that probably the the day before or the morning probably of of the second round match against Contevay, I was thinking maybe she can do this. <laughs> maybe she can actually do this. And and yeah, she just played really well. She played. Uh, uh, with freedom and mm-hmm. and she she was she, it, it, so against Condovate th- there were still issues with with her ground strokes with her timing she wasn't fully confident during the entire match of uh, you know attacking off the ground and you and beating uh, no against Condovate uh, okay. at least I, I I thought like she she wasn't okay. necessarily fully confident in in her ground strokes all the time. But she served unbelievable. The serving was unbelievable. She wasn't even, and I think this this was due to uh, Renee Stubbs's. I think some yeah. of the things she was she was telling Serena. The, so Serena wasn't serving hard at all in in, in the first set. She her her her, her, her serving speeds were ri- much lower than normal, like pr- probably about ten miles an hour on average. I think her her first serve averaged like ninety nine miles an hour, which is far yeah. below what she normally would. But she was just hitting all her spots, high first serve percentage, and just served unbelievably in in the big moments. And then that kind of carried her through. And I actually, I actually thought in in the in the third round match against Tomjanovic, that was when she really was striking the ball really well. And the first half of both of those sets was the best tennis she played in the tournament. But obviously she she doesn't have matches under her belt. But obviously the nerves of the situation, and and she couldn't she couldn't serve out the Either set she served for the first and second set against Tomoyanovich and just couldn't do it, but still played 
you know, it was just the, the whole spectacle was incredible. You know, the, the tie for, for one that when she beat Kontovay, the, the tie break in the second set against Tomojanovic when she just upped her level and 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 got through it. The the obviously her last after in the third set when she was obviously tired and didn't have much to, to give and then saved a, a trillion match points and just yeah. kept on just and not just save the, save them but just came up with just just demolishing the board and hitting winners from all parts of the court we also have to talk about just the whole spectacle and and you know from the moment so from the first match when when um Kovinic goes onto the court and is standing there waiting and then suddenly there's a a, queen, a, a, um, a video narrated by Queen Latifah like Serena you know Serena the girl and it's, it, it seemed to go on forever and and, and Kovinic is just waiting there for seemingly forever and then finally Serena comes on and obviously as we know in tennis normally the, the lower ranked player goes on first and Serena's, yeah. Serena's was ranked I think 605, but she was the one that she was waiting, and and then, and and then she'd go on after the video. <laughs> it happened three times, and yeah, you'd have after the first round match. Um, she had the ceremony after the first round match, and they 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 went, they just went completely in the, the USTA. I actually think it's so. So one one of the things they did is is on, around the stadium they put greatest of all time. Which I, I thought was maybe too much from yeah. from, from a tennis governing body for, from so from an American, you know. So here's the thing: like I think I don't have a problem with that so much. Um, the greatest of all time thing. That this was I people had strong opinions on both sides of the of the entrances thing, right? So like I was there with yeah, those are very popular with Kovinich the first time it happened because we didn't know it was going to happen. So they they sent out Kovinich first. And then there's like a usually the next player goes on within 10 seconds of the first player, right? This one there was like a several minutes long video and the crowd getting hyped up, and I was just like, but why send Kovacic out first? Like if you want to play the video, like okay, but then like let them both be in the hallway for the video and together, and then then you can even send out Kovacic first and the crowd will still like sort of applaud for her. But it's I don't know making them sit through that from the governing body perspective that seemed like really just trying to rattle the opponent. On some level, that seemed disrespectful to the opponent. I know some people were like, "Who cares?" And it's a question of like, how much is it meaningfully that like Serena is the home team at this tournament, and the USTA is her home federation, and it's they don't have to be neutral. I've always thought they should be neutral, and most times it does seem plausibly neutral. What we get at tournaments, I think they should be. I think they should be too. That's sort of that's how I feel about tennis, and it's different if it's like a Davis Cup tie. It's you know like a hype video for the home team. But that's not what really Grand Slam Tennis has ever been, uh, logistically. So I it rubbed me the wrong way seeing it, and I felt bad for for Kovinic and then Kontaveit. And I remember we were both in the press conference, I think, with Isla, <laughs> and who was up third. And at this point, the thing was really gaining momentum. The Kovinic, the Kontaveit win was big, and Isla, who had, by the way, a really tough third second round win against Evgenia Rodina, I think she saved match point in that match. Like Rodina almost made it to that third round, um, who we had seen nowhere. In three years, of who, just Rodina, who just appeared in the draw. That was one of the wildest as if it was 20, 20, 2019 all over again. Right, yeah. Again, it's not the first time she's done this. But anyway, Rodina came very close to being the third round opponent for Serena. Um, by the way, I was at, during the first week. I was thinking, oh, okay, Serena will get past Kontovic, maybe Tomjanovic, probably honestly. And then I thought she would lose to Samsonova. Samsonova. Um, but that's not what happened anyway. This tournament. Just put my bad takes out there for no reason. Uh, anyway. 
we're talking to Isla just being like, you know, it's crazy out there, right? You're going to like go out there and there's like a video playing and whatever. And gosh, like Isla is someone who really has had a reputation for, especially when she was a low ranked player, she had a, a, you know, outside top 50, she would get a lot of top players on the ropes and then really fade. And, and you could say choke, uh, you could say just sort of not close out moments, whatever it may be. That was her reputation, right? So for her to come out and win, first off, last year, I think it's worth mentioning the Roddy Kane match in court one, uh, where Roddy Kane wound up being the one retiring from that match. That was already a big showing from Tom Janovich. And, and then this one here is even 20 times bigger, I think, in terms of stepping up and backing herself. And it's going to be a hell of a Netflix episode because she is one of the Netflix main characters this season. And I'm sure we're going to get Serena's retirement from the Tom Janovich perspective. as like a whole episode of the show. Um, so I'll be interested to see as a sort of denouement to this. Uh, yeah, but Isla's, I think, really well-liked person in yeah. the locker room, and she was a good pick to do this. It's sort of a weird pick. You know, it wasn't like – there were some really like really great possible torch pass kind of people. It could have been. It could have been Sviantek. It could have been Coco Goff. It could have been, uh, you know, some other person with obvi- more obvious symbolism. But seeing for Tom Donovich, people who are at all aware of her, to see her step up to this. And I think she just impressed a lot of people. Like, her tennis was really good. That was a really high-level yeah. third-round match. It was, I think, possibly, just on pure tennis, one of the top four or five matches of the, certainly of the tournament. Yeah. And she was she was so solid. She absorbed so much of Serena's pace. And from the beginning, she was... I remember she, early on, I think it was actually in the first service game, she, Serena, she just crushed the return winner of Serena's first serve. And then and you knew then that she was ready and and after the after the match then I, I just thought she handled it really well just that obviously it was Serena's moment Serena had had the the first uncle interview and you know that the, the crowd saw her off and then and then and then she was uh Isla was interviewed by Marjo Fernandez and just the just she just struck all the right notes and yeah she, she's she just come she comes across very well when, whenever she's in front of a mic and yeah she she dealt with the, the situation very nicely i thought and so yeah it, it ended up being it would this wasn't the fairy tale serena run to the quarterfinals and it, it given the level it, it could have been yeah <laughs> it's, it wasn't impossible by any means but it, it ended on why i took it ended on serena fighting until the end what we've seen from her for so long and and it also ended, which was even more amusing. We we talked about this in the previous episode, just that even even after that, she she she's she's forty years old. She's had this unbelievable unbelievable career and every reason to to to, to end end at this point. She fight she finally had a, a match that felt like a good ending, even even though she was disappointed. She disappointed. She clearly seemed to recognize that. It was not a bad way to go out. Yeah. Yet, when she when she was asked if if she was really done, she still couldn't really give an answer. She, that's clearly part of her that's still like, I can still do this. I can, you know. She she kept on saying, if if I'd prepare, if I started earlier, if I'd if yeah. I'd give played more matches, maybe I could, you know, have done even yeah. more. I'm, she was like, I, I'm just I'm just started. I was just starting out. So it was. It's, so I, I'll let you speak in a second. But it's just, no, it's yeah. just funny to see, just how I don't know. She's well. I guess my main takeaway was just that people 
outside of tennis, when they talk about Serena, and we saw a lot of articles, people, you know, discussing Serena's career and and how much all of her outside interests and how that's how she's blazed her path in that way. But in my opinion, I I left that match thinking that Serena's just a pure tennis player. That's who she is. Yeah. That's uh, that, that's where she is herself on the court and yeah and and it just it, it was a it was a great way to go out but you know it it, it wasn't she still she could still play if she wanted to I think that's that's how she left it and I think that's maybe almost a comfortable way to, to leave it just being like I still got it like on some level like I still I could still do it and I think that I think getting the win over Contivate you know which on paper is such a spectacular win beating the number two player in the world at 40 years old certainly can be the oldest ever player to beat someone of that ranking and that's going to go down in history um yeah like seeing doing that and 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 playing well against Tomjanovic and and just again it's amazing how much better she got in between Cincinnati and New York and the work and you know it seems like from a distance like the Renee Stubbs I do think deserves a great deal of credit for that and and also Serena for picking Renee Stubbs and being willing to to try new things at this last moment yeah. you know yeah. um and maybe the maybe the first part of the comeback was really half-assed like i don't know i don't know much at all about no disrespect to eric heckman who's her who her previous coach i don't know much about him he's not a very well-known person on tour um he'd worked with venus a bit but like but picking renee and also renee especially like as the way that renee was talking and setting things up renee took the field really seriously right renee was like here renee knew about other i remember there was a moment where the draw was coming out and uh, it was like Alexander Stevenson and Chris Everett and maybe Chris McKendry, whoever was in the studio, maybe some one guy, Gilbert, I'm not sure who it was in, in the studio for ESPN when they drew the draw reveal show, which is nonsense, by the way. But anyway, and they were like, oh, it's running against Donka Kovinich. And they were trying to like talk about Donka Kovinich like they knew anything about her. But then they cut to Renee and Pam Shriver. And Renee actually knew who Donka Kovinich was and actually had like coherent things to say about Donka Kovinich and like knew who she was. And I feel like that was sort of a level of of professionalism and respecting the field um that that renee is a real tour veteran and it's sort of still like very much attached to the tour person um gave her so i like i like that i like her having a former wta coach in her corner for the first time yeah, that she kind of was kind of cool yeah that's, that's um, nice. um yeah. I, I do i do think with serena I, I do kind of believe serena just in that that because she, she kept on saying that she was practicing well even in the in the previous tournaments but couldn't couldn't bring it on the match court, and I, I do think that she was just she was extremely nervous in some of those pre pre U.S. Open matches, and 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 she said that at the U.S. Open, she she didn't she just felt different. You know, she had nothing to prove. She was in in response to one of your questions that she she'd had a target on her back since she was 17 yeah. years old when yeah. she won big the U.S. Red Open. Big Red X is what she called big, it. Yeah. Big Red X, yes. And but finally at this tournament she had could just play freely and and it was the end and so she and I I thought the fact that it was the last tournament that would make her even more nervous but I seemed to relax her and allow her to play at, at a very high level even if she didn't quite have the match toughness to to serve out sets and things like that so yeah with, it, it ended with, on a on a positive with, note with the right draw I think Serena could have made quarterfinals maybe even semifinals at this tournament and there were look at who else is in the third round there's lots of players i look at here 
you know, again, no respect, disrespect to your Dalma Golfies or your even Allison Risk or Rebecca Marino or Clara Burrell or uh, Mardich or Yuan or Mukarusa or, uh, you know, Lauren Davis. Like, there were players who she would have been a huge favorite against. And maybe one of them would have stepped up the way Tom Alganovich would, because I thought she could have won that match when, when that draw happened. But um, anyway, I thought she did herself justice. I don't really try to see her back. I mean, who knows? If she takes, no, if, she takes no. if she takes a Guadalajara wild card, I'll be very amused. Um, uh, but you know, because I, but at the same level, I do think that like, I hope that she sort of learned that at this age that you can't. I think that she wasn't putting enough in all the way to get the results that she maybe wanted, and that's. I think that she for so long in her career was able to play so minimally. Um, and maybe at some certain points, not many, but at some certain points, even train relatively less and still get elite, elite results. Um, and, and I don't think that was the case anymore in 2022. Um, but, but you saw how much great work she did. Yeah. So if she plays Australia, I would be happy to see her, but I think that this was a great ending. And I think that, you know, she, she kind of nailed the, the ending. So if that yeah, was it, if that was it, I, I'm, no. I'm certainly as a Serena fan for a long time, I'm at peace with that. It's her goodbye, and I hope yeah, that she, yeah. she is too. Um, and to your tennis player point, like I don't think you know as much as you talk about evolving. Bluntly, I don't think any I don't think Serena Williams could ever be as good at anything as she was at tennis because yeah. almost no one is as good at anything as Serena Williams was yeah, at tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. And and it was a good. Uh, uh, the, the final should mention the the final interview on court with, with, with again. I think it was with Major Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Which was just striking to me as well because they played each other in 1999. Yeah. Fernandez has been retired for like 20 years. <laughs> yeah, here we are. But in Serena, emotionally, um, shouting out her family, Oracine, Richard, and of course. Venus. The, the, the line, yeah. There wouldn't be a Serena line it was, Venus. It was a lot. Uh, uh, yeah, and I, I, I was on call for it, and, and like, yeah, as we discussed before, I was also a. A Williams fan growing up, they were what kind of drew me into tennis. Watching, you know, yeah, I played tennis before, too. and then they drew me into watching tennis and obsessing over it. And so I, was, I can't lie, it was a bit emotional, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> just, just, just watching watching that unfold in person and seeing just how, how long they how how long this has been the 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 story Venus and Serena. That's the the story of women's tennis, and and yeah, it it it, 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 it it's crazy, actually, to, to me, just how neatly and and well it ended. It, it yeah. could, aside from a, a massive run and a fairy tale run, you couldn't really ask for much more. Honestly, it was already a fairy tale by day five of the tournament. Like she was the tournament. That contemplate win was already fairy tale on paper. Being the number two player in the world like that, like I think she got her fairy tale. I really do. And again, the crowd reception too, because like this, you know. It's been a, and this is my last question to her in the press conference, actually, and she didn't, this is the one sort of question that she didn't really want to engage with totally, but, like, New York has been a rough place for her a lot of times. Yeah, like, yeah. it's been the site of some of her biggest highs, and certainly her lowest lows have come in that stadium, both in terms of losses, like the Vinci loss, 100%, and then also just the various, you know, uh, blow-ups or meltdowns she's had, honestly, yeah. um, in that in that place. So, uh, and, and, yeah. and, and even before those meltdowns, the crowd, the, even before those incidents, the, the crowds weren't 
always no. supporting her. I remember when she when she played like Clysis even in '99. You, you look back on on the old footage, and that that's a hell of a lot of of cheering for an unknown Kim, Kim Clysis <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So so yeah, and and yet by the end it was overwhelming. She she, she won over America. She really did. All right. So, and also, we should say also one of the cool things about it, and then we finally move on to these these men. But um, the the crowds for her were great. It was like it was people you could tell there were a lot of people there, especially the first night, but certainly other nights too, who were there to see Serena, who were it was a lot more black people in the stands than you normally get at the U.S. Open. Frankly, it was people coming wearing their own various homemade T-shirts and signs and stuff. And the, one of the things that killed me was like how much there were these guys coming. He took a subway there. This guy's selling the Serena bootleg Serena yeah, t-shirts yeah. on the subway walkway to the stadium. And you actually saw, like, a lot of people in the grounds wearing those shirts. <laughs> and, like, if there was, like, a real merch situation in tennis where, like, Serena could have sold her own merch, she would have made, like, literal millions of dollars at the U.S. Open selling official Serena t-shirts that week. And just tennis doesn't have its act together on that. So I was like, oh, like, how can you not go into the U.S. Open souvenir store and buy a Serena shirt? Like, what is what is the sport yeah. you're doing? And she and she has she, she has that she has had the goat shirt obviously the goat hoodie yeah. that Francis yeah, Tiafoe yeah. like lived in for for during his fairy tale run but yeah. yeah but but yeah as you said it's it's not something you can just buy on the grounds or very easily but it should be for a lot of players yeah. not just Serena, for every, yeah Serena. All, all of the top players yeah definitely all right so men's tournament you mentioned francis Tiafo. he did play men's tennis at this tournament he made the semifinals he lost we'll start with the champion he lost in the semifinals to carlos alcaraz garfia who is the winner of this tournament the youngest u.s open champion since uh, pete sampras in 1990 the youngest atp number one ever which he gets yeah. um and this is something honestly you know the hype about him was huge when he made the quarterfinals last year at the u.s open there are people who were like wow he's here so in some ways, this is you kind of saw this coming, and I think the C's did part for him in men's tennis this year a bit. I mean, go about ranking totals with with uh, with Shvantec, she's up at what 10, 10 three sixty five. I think Alcaraz yeah. is at six eighty or something like that, and he's uh, six six point six eight hundred rather sixty eight hundred, and he's that's enough for number one right now in men's tennis. I mean, it's been a couple several things that come together. Medvedev did not have a good year. He was the starting number one, or sorry. Um, who was number one earlier at this tournament. Uh, Nadal has been the best player consistently, but has been kind of a part-timer or has missed time with injury and, and lost, uh, you know, fourth round of this tournament. Um, Novak Djokovic, obviously, has taken himself out of contention by staying unvaccinated. Um, and, yeah, so that that leaves. And Zverev got hurt. Zverev was very much in the mix for number one, actually. Uh, he was very close to getting it this summer. Uh, but then he got hurt, and then he recently got uh, re- some new injury with a bone edema that's going to possibly keep him out for more weeks or months. We might not see him again this year. So, you know, um, and, and since the positive things actually, I'll mention him too, to his not had a great year. Since the positive things had a disappointing year. This could have been since the positive year on some level. I know he had the elbow issue, but I think he's still underperformed. Um, and so, you especially, know, went, especially that slams. Yeah. 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 It's been, I think it's been a low key bad year for since actually that people but, haven't but really like, glommed on. Yeah. But it's a weird one because he's, he's made, like multiple Masters finals and and been decent at that level. He's high in the ATP race as well. But then yeah. at the Slams, it's just been a, in, a, a aside from the, the semi final when he did obviously just coming back from the elbow surgery. The Slams have been have been bad, very bad. 
Tsitsipas lost in the you know first round of the U.S. Open, and a pretty big shocker to, to Daniel Alahi Galan, and started off the match like he was getting six love five love. <laughs> yeah, six love five love. It was it was one of the most bizarre matches. That's how how long ago that feels in this tournament. Anyway, so Tsitsipas is one of the people who I think left the door open for for, and he could have been number one this tournament had he won it, I believe. Um, anyway, but the winner is Alcaraz, and Alcaraz. Um, yeah, he took over. He had kind of a Svantec-esque run. I mean, looking back at their stats, actually during the something, was it during Cincinnati or something? The Alcaraz and Svantec runs were more similar than I thought they were at the time. At the time, I was like, oh, Svantec's number one, and she's or getting number one, and she's killing it. Alcaraz was winning a whole heck of a lot too. I mean, like he won Rio, uh, 500 to start the year. Then he made the semifinals of Indian Wells, got hurt in that semifinal, or uh, or Nadal got hurt. No, no, no Alcaraz got hurt. <laughs> He lost, Nadal. he lost to Nadal. Yeah, in the semifinals, I'm saying, but like there's yeah, an yeah. injury issue there or something, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then he wins Miami pretty convincingly, um, and then he wins Madrid. He loses in first round of uh, uh, Monte Carlo to, to Corda, but then he wins Corda. Barcelona and he wins Madrid. And then he has a disappointing loss to the aforementioned Zverev. Zverev's first ever top to win at a Grand Slam. Um and then Alcaraz loses, gets pretty blitzed in the fourth round of Wimbledon by Sinner. Sinner beats him again in uh, in Umag in the final. Uh, Sinner loses to uh, Alcaraz loses to Musetti, you know. But he's like playing like it's it's really good. Like and you know he loses Tommy Paul in Canada, and you know it doesn't come into the US Open with a lot of momentum. Honestly, like he wasn't someone who was a clear favorite for this tournament, but played his way into form, and yeah, just like kept getting. And and got out of some really tight matches. I mean, winning those three back-to-back five setters against against Chilich in the fourth round against Sinner in the quarterfinals, which to me is by far the match of the year. Like the level in that Sinner Alcaraz match, I thought was outrageously great. Like I thought it was so good that match, and that to me is the one that's like the takeaway. Like I hope this is the rivalry for men's tennis is those two. I thought they just matched up really really well, and then he plays Francis Tiafo who has the whole crowd and Michelle Obama on his side. Um, and that was his own kind of challenge. You know, so I think he's the better player than Tiafo, I think pretty clearly. Um, but I think that it still was a different kind of hurdle. And then getting into a Grand Slam final where you know you can win it. And Casper played pretty well. I thought that was a pretty good final too. He played um, well, yeah. Yeah, Casper had a great, we'll get to Rude in a second, but like Rude had a great tournament and I think played that tournament well. And yeah, but Alcaraz is there. And then boom, he's number one. And, you know, tennis goes from essentially... If you don't count Medvedev, which you should count Medvedev, but if you don't count Medvedev because he hasn't ever really been a dominant number one, like he hasn't won, I don't think he's won a tournament since he got to number one, if I'm being accurate. Or not, certainly not a, not a, not a Masters. Los, or Los a Cabos. Slam. Los Cabos, right. Okay, Los Cabos. Uh, the 250 there. But he has not been doing much winning. Um, so it kind of just feels like tennis skipped a lot of generations. We go from 36, 35-year-old uh, Djokovic and 36-year-old Nadal all the way to 19-year-old Alcaraz and maybe tennis will never look back. Maybe it's just me, Alcaraz, and maybe Sinner and that's just me, the new regime. Or maybe the Tsitsipas generation and Zverev and Rublev and Berrettini and even like Felix you want to throw in there or Shapovalov. Maybe they'll have their, their moments, but yeah, Alcaraz just was that much better. He was, he was really good. He's really yeah, good. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, the, the whole run was just crazy because it. He just. Be, it's just funny to see him become the main character over the course of the two weeks, and he played like to to me. It was clear 
from uh, probably the from the Chilich match that he was playing at the highest level, just in terms of of what he was doing on the court, the level of just his. I, I tend when I'm watching tennis matches, obviously I'm working. I'm I keep a straight face and barely react, but it's impossible not to react when when you see some of the things that he's doing on the court with, with his athleticism, with his massive, with his skill set, with the shot making, with the variety, just just every everything he does. But so, so on one hand, he was playing the high. To me, he was clearly playing the highest level, but at the same time, he was pretty wasteful. Like he. He was yes. up two sets. He was he was up two sets to one on on Chilich and had break points in the fourth set and then suddenly was down a break in the fifth set and had to dig him out of that, himself out of that against Sinner. That should have been a three set win. He he had so many chances. The um, thing with Alcaraz that, is he's he's sloppy. Like as much as he's a, he's unbelievably good, but he throws in some real sloppy points. He gives things back in a way and keeps things interesting. Yeah. In matches. And 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 sometimes he goes. He does some. He's clearly a, a showman. He loves the crowd. He loves, <laughs> and he, he he loves that side of it. And sometimes he goes for, he he goes for the Hollywood shot, and when yeah. so, something simpler would would be much easier. The the, the obvious thing was against um, TFO actually. I, I think he in the fourth set. I think he had. I think it was a break point. That he, oh no, it was a match point. He had a match point. He had there was like a, a, a net court. He had a short ball. And he could have just nailed up a forehand or a backhand. He he had all the choice in the world, and he went for a drop shot. And then TFO came forward and hit a counter drop shot, a really good counter drop shot. But he, you know, he wanted the the Hollywood drop shot finish with his, you know, his arm following through above his head and everything looking beautiful. And then he almost paid for it. But so on one hand, he was really wasteful. On the other hand, he was just incredibly resilient after, you know. After allowing his opponents back in, and again the obvious one was against Sinner when when he was when Sinner served for the match at five four in the four set. He, he, he after all of those wasted opportunity, um, uh, Alcaraz Alcaraz for for a period during that match he was as miserable as as I've ever seen him on a tennis court. He was completely out of it. At one point, I think at four three in the four set during the change of ends, he spent the whole change of ends just like. Shouting towards Juan Carlos Ferreira, asking him in in Spanish, "How do, oh, I can't serve? Tell me where I should serve. I cannot serve." Yeah, he still like somehow put his head together and ha- had that last stand in in Sinner's service game and and came through it. So, you know, <laughs> the tennis is crazy, and and he's and the the crazy thing is that obviously he's going to get less sloppy, right? He's going to become more well. The next improvement is that he's going to become more efficient and make better decisions and control matches better. He has so much room to improve still. Um, in terms of, you know, like, for example, the, the one big thing is the serve. He was, he was quite sloppy with that. You know, he'd, he'd constantly lead, get break leads in, in decisive sets, in fourth sets or whatever, but he couldn't hold on to it because he's just not, he just can't hit, hit his spots on his serve. And yeah. control his service and manage his service games well right now, but there's so much room for improvement. But he's just the talent's unbelievable and and the the mental fortitude and so yeah, it was just it just as I said before, it was just funny to, to see him become the main character of, of of the second week of the tournament and just how he just it was just the, the the it was spectacular just the way he was winning those matches and and again and the final as well. I, 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 
as you said, I thought I thought Rui played really well in that third set. He that was about until the tiebreak. That was about as well as he could. He he yeah. served unbelievably. He he made like his stand his stand and in the in uh, Alcaraz's final service game had had made two, created two set points. Could have been up two sets to one in a slam final, and then suddenly there's Alcaraz serving and volleying. On, on set point and, and, and coming to the net again. He came to the net on the first set point and then, <laughs> so yeah, this, this is actually the, my main memory of what I'm going to take from Alcaraz. It's at Juice, um, in down six, five, six in, in the third set of a slam final. He served and volleyed and the ball, uh, uh, Roots return was past him. Uh, a return winner brought up the second set point. And Alcaraz had the audacity in the biggest moment of his life to go back to the baseline, serve and volley again, win the point, take it to a tiebreak, and then just bulldoze through the match. And like he's an audacious player, he's unbelievably talented, and obviously, you know, there's clearly so much more that he can achieve. I do think, as we're saying with Shriantek, it's none of this is a given, and it's you know you still have to continue improving you still have to no matter how talented you are you still have to you know have have just just keep on evolving and and not get become comfortable which he talked about um but there's just there's clearly so much that he can achieve if if things go go well for him because the talent's just in my opinion in his own certain way just something we've never seen before and just Just the, the combined skill set and, and everything all in one. It's just, it's crazy to watch sometimes. No, he does have a lot of the, this is good, it's not really hyperbolic, and it is, he does have a lot of the best elements of each of the big three. You know, he has sort of the speed and the defense and the flexibility and athleticism of like a Djokovic. He has, and hopefully it's that durability. We don't know about the durability because he's still so young, but hopefully he has that Djokovic kind of ability to, to, to you know, be physically so great. He has, the energy and the intensity of Nadal, not the discipline of Nadal. Certainly Nadal has more point discipline, but he also has the flash and attack of Federer, you know, and it's kind of like really good elements of all three of the big three in that way that come together in this really interesting product. And yes, there are certainly moments where he's not, um, you know, a super disciplined player and where he's not, uh, you know, he gave, he gives chances. He gives away, you know, has let down games. It's, it's sort of dumb things and that will, you would think improve with age maturity. It might always be weakness for him. You never know. I mean, there's certainly great players. I would put Ash Barty in the conversation too. Ash Barty was someone who was not someone who was doing what Shvantec did this year, you know, like beating people like one and one or two and two, like red line. Barty would have ups and downs in her matches for sure. And maybe Alcaraz is going to be that kind of number one and he's good enough to get away with it. It's different in men's tennis where the breaks are so valuable maybe, but, um, but yeah, but he was great. That again, that center match was so, so good. Um, Latest ever finish, that was unnecessary, but, you know, the level, just the actual level of some of the rallies were just like, they were both playing really, really well. So I want to just give, I don't have much more to say about center, but just know that he looked ready to win this tournament at that point. Because we got to the, the, once, once Medvedev and Nadal lost in the fourth round, there was only one slam champ left, and it was Marin Chilis, and he went out later in that fourth round, and then it was a completely open quarterfinal. And you look at it on paper, and yes, Alcaraz is the high seed left of these of these eight men in the quarterfinals, and he wins it, and it feels less open, but he still had things to prove here. He still, you know, he had only made one quarterfinal before, in which he really underperformed against Zverev in that French Open quarterfinal. That was a surprise loss for a lot of people that he lost to Zverev there, um, and 
and yeah, and that's where I think the the lack of discipline kind of got him in that match. So it's Zverev is such a, a a backboard and and such a you know can play his level and just keep it in in those moments. And anyway, um, yeah. But Al- I, but Al- but Alcaraz, yeah, it did it. And and to to get to the sort of hyperbole point, like I'm taking mathematically, I'm taking a very very hard under on him winning 20 Grand Slams. Like you cannot. The recalibration point, like you cannot sign him up for that. But, like, he's an incredibly credible and exciting number one, and uh, you know should be someone who just people want to see for for the tennis and the just what he can do out there. I think he's you know not only Shkontek in that way, just like you want to see like him just play tennis because the tennis is that good. Yeah, and yeah, and he, he, I don't know, he he he, he pairs the, the spectacular tennis with just. The, the the joy you obviously see in his game and the the constants he smiles more than anyone anyone on the tour when yeah. he's playing that well and and so so after the match he talked about you know you mentioned his his iffy results in the, in the immediate build up in in Montreal yeah. and when he lost to Tommy Tommy Powell and and in in, <laughs> in Cincinnati when he was kind of edged out by Cameron Norrie and he said that during that period he. He'd actually, for a short while, he'd lost that joy, and I think that was quite obvious. Just the pressure hit him for a short while. The, which I, I tried to, I tried to ask Juan Carlos Ferrer this, but he didn't, he didn't quite get what I was going for. But just that, obviously, suddenly he had a target on his back. Suddenly people were playing really well against him. Uh, I mean, the Zverev match in at the French Open. Um, uh, to me, that was the best match Zverev played in his life. Probably, yep. he, he he was yep. he he wanted to make a, a point, and and so he and he was the one for one for once he was not the person being talked about. So he he went in there with you know without knowing that the pressure was on the other side, and that was the same with um, Alcaraz losing to Musetti. It was the same with him him taking you know Sinner playing beating him twice in the summer, and so but he. Yeah, you know, he he found coming into the U.S. Open, he he found that that joy again, and I I did and so, so Ferreira, I, I I asked him this as well, and he said that he he told um Alcaraz to just after seeing how Carlos was struggling, to just to to come to the net. That that's the, that's the one one way you can you know find that exuberance again is is to to play to to, to play in that style. So he he got Alcaraz to come to net as much as he could, and 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 you saw that kind of reflected in the way he played the points and and in that final he said he was actually in the baseline rallies with with Root he was actually less confident like he was very nervous in the rallies so he just kept on coming forward and serving and volleying and and coming to the net and it, that in itself in in this baseline era that that in itself is 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 impressive and crazy and. Yeah, he's just he has so much. It's even if he had, even if he couldn't volley, even if he his his backhand was just okay, he'd still be an unbelievable talent. But he's already so complete and and can has so much has still has room to improve. So yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, one one uh, on the sort of what you're saying about his his joy. This I retweeted this, but we'll sort of recall passages from um, this new clay. Uh, tennis magazine, uh, the uh, South American publication. Uh, buddy Sebastian Varela of, of Chile did an article on this, and it's in English. I retweeted it um, about uh, 
talking to uh, this guy Antonio Martinez Cascales, who I think is is technical advisor for Alcaraz, who has a huge team by the way. The number of people on that like trophy, like like yeah. who are all those people? Just like yeah. like thirty men show up for his yeah. trophy. Um, um, if, if, <laughs> all um, men, <laughs> all men, notably. But he said something interesting here, where he said, um, uh, "This is during the U.S. Open series." He says after he had an impressive volley, instead of jumping up and down or expressing joy, he lowered his head and like exhaled, um, and sort of he's and they said like, "Don't ever like sort of take those things for granted. Like, don't just like if you do something great, like enjoy it and smile and show your teeth and be happy." Basically, what they're saying, like, and that's part of who you are. That's part of its essence, and that's you know, coaching. That is part of coaching. It's having the right mindset of, of keeping that mental side of things. And Louisa Thomas did a, a, a nice piece for New Yorker about this on the women's final. How both you know, Chabur and and Shvantec famously had these you know psychologists who were with them more and more. Um, and and yeah, so that was that's part of what this was for uh, for Alcaraz as well. Just keeping that sort of happy mindset, and it is so notable impressed when you're with Alcaraz especially it's like it's like media day or something you see like a string of players and then he comes in and he's just so happy to be there yeah, he's just like yeah. big smiles and his English is still doesn't understand everything it doesn't can express everything but he's still just so happy to be there and tennis does not create happiness it is not a sport that fosters happiness and we'll see how it how he handles it when he gets his you know when he gets knocked down because it will happen in tennis you know he will have yeah. some some tough losses and some tough stretches and that's the nature of the beast of tennis but for right now, he's just this remarkably just like happy kid. He's just like everything just seems so easy and, and nice for him because it is, and he won the U.S. Open. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that was great. Um, I want to talk about Casper Ruud briefly. Casper uh, Ruud, uh, who has <laughs> Caitlin Thompson. I wanted to find the phrase, but I think it was like an Insta story or something. Referred to him something. I'm gonna get, get this wrong a bit, and this is a compliment. I think she referred to him something along the lines of like being like an oatmeal prince. There's something about him that's like very beige in some way, Casper Rude. But I think it's also incredibly appealing. Where he's in this era of Akaraz notwithstanding, of these sort of like very big personalities and these people who like are just a lot to deal with. And certainly this goes to, you know, Curios and Djokovic has a lot of stuff going on, and even Nadal in his own way is very exhausting in certain ways just because there's always a lot of things going on with it all it's very high energy and and rude is just a sort of like simple nice pleasant player whose tennis has gotten way better and who was one match from being number one in the world and was again one set from from tiafo beating alcaraz in the semis from being number one there um or if alcaraz had lost you know to center or whoever like it could have been rude there as well um rude i don't think i ever expected him to be number one Bluntly, I don't think I ever thought he was in that level of conversation, but he has stepped up in this year. People have not been stepping up in men's tennis. He's been consistently there and, and his, not unlike Shiontech, what he was able to do to change his clay court game to being something that really is effective on a fast hard court in New York. I was, I was very impressed by, I thought that I was just, I thought his tennis was really good to watch. I thought he was a really I thought he really carried his weight in that half of the draw. Like, I thought he was a very, very credible finalist and a very, you know, the tennis was good. Like, it's, you know, hard to get more complicated than that with it. Like, he was just, he played good tennis. And it was, yes, if he got to number one, it was going to be, he if he got to number one without winning the U.S. Open, I should say, it would have been, like, a bit of a weird note for men's tennis to hit after these, you know, series of 
big three high notes. But it also, like, who deserved it more than him? You know, because in this year, he's just been so steady, and and there's a lot to be said for that as, as a virtue. And just, yeah, he's a, he's a guy who's, again, like, not the flashiest, but has just, is likable and professional in this way that I think just, I think he, yeah, he looks a lot of people well. And Courtney, I'll mention again, like, Courtney has, like, gone from, we did this thing on our Patreon last summer about, like, or she was joking on the show during the draw show that she couldn't pick Casper Ruud out of a lineup. And so we made a photo lineup video of 10 faces and one of them was Casper Ruud. Could she find him? And, and spoiler, she could not. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, but now she's like a huge Casper Ruud stan. So Courtney was on her spaces yeah. and she'll be on her at some point. Like she's a big, there's a lot, you know, I think, I think it's again, like it's oatmeal, but in a, in a good way. And yeah. And I think just, just Ruud's success shows a few things that the first one is related to your, your point about comparing him to the other like other play, other players particularly for me that the players of of his age group of Zverev and uh Tsitsipas and Shapovalov and all, all of these players who have been hyped you know hyped to the heavens and back and just received more more attention than him whereas mm-hmm. he's just he's as you said he's remained steady he be, he's he's still he's deservedly so. I don't know if he always deserved that much attention. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. No. But but I just mean it, it goes to show that just just putting your head down and working and you know staying in going on your path and in your lane and that can yield yield success. He's he's improved. What's it? The funny thing is that he's he's so he's now reached two two slam finals this year. None of none of the the aforementioned players have have reached two two slam finals. Um, yeah. So, so so there's that, which is just just funny to to think of, you know, given given the the levels of hype. He, he's also done it without. He he still hasn't beaten a top ten player in a slam. So he he he, which is yeah, it's, it's a something. thing. Obviously, we, we've discussed this that he he could have. There was a scenario where he was number one without being a top ten player in a slam, and also without winning a title over. Uh, uh, 250 over 250 like this is this is shocking like over not just not just to slam list number one a thousand list number one and a 500 list number one this would have been again like and it's no knock on casper because i don't know that anyone's really been a more sort of you know an obvious number one this year really but like that would have been extraordinary if if he hadn't won the U.S. Open. If he wins the U.S. Open and like okay that consummates it like whatever win your U.S. Open. But if he went in there, not even Real Madrid, he went in there with a Gestad in Geneva. Gestad and Bastad. Gestad and he won Gestad and Bastad. Yeah. Serena would. Yeah. I mean, anyway, like yeah, it's not. I don't mean that. I mean that is a zero percent of the knock on Casper because Casper is just like. I think exactly what you said is right. He has stayed in his lane. He is doing his thing. He is an unproblematic fave in this time when a lot of these guys, you know, do things to just make you roll your eyes. And I don't mean Alcaraz in that level, but a lot of these people just sort of, sort of like, you're like, ugh, I don't know. Sometimes with these with these men, and it can be uncomfortable. Casper is very comfortable. He's very, just very, you know, a solid professional and, I like that he gets to number two. I think that's a, a great career high ranking for him. I don't know if he'll get to number one. I mean, he could, if he wins, you know, a, a couple of tournaments this fall, he could get there. I mean, Alcaraz's lead is not so big, um, but he'd have to kind of do it soon. I don't think the window's going to be very long for Casper to to yeah. get to number one. Um, 
But who knows? I mean, he could win the Australian Open. You never know. I mean, like his his tennis is just good. Like it's solid. The form, he's become much more of an attacker. You know, early in his career, he's considered people called him a pusher, uh, which was never really. I mean, ATP level pusher is a whole different kind of thing. But he's has not been. He's not a passive player ever. He just is no. not. You know, a, a ball basher. But now, but now he really does know how to dictate it and can go out there and, and trade blows and like yeah. the way he beat someone like Berrettini. You know, that was just beating him kind of power for power almost in some levels. Um, yeah. So I and, yeah, impressed. Yeah. But yeah, as just kind of as I was saying, I just think that it it there are opportunities here, and and some of those other other players just didn't take them. Tsitsipas had a huge opportunity, and as as we we discussed, he ended up down six love five love versus Galan. Uh, but Root Root has in two two slams this year. He's 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 had the doors opened and he's gone straight through and 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 performed really well and and that's a credit to him and I'd say this sorry the second just this the second takeaway for me is just the the obsession over his his hard hardcore record you know last year a couple of years ago when he was 22 players can improve if yeah. if you know improvements can be made and, and he clearly has made them his, his serves better now as you said he's he's playing more aggressive in that third set against Alcaraz he was dictating a lot of a lot of it you know as I said Alcaraz had to come to the net because he was kind of getting you know uh, uh Rude was crushing his forehand um yeah. and and so yeah it, it just goes to show that you can make improvements and you can adjust and 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 he has and, and now he's I mean his his aside from the Obviously, he made the Roland Garros final, but most of his other top results have actually been on hard courts. He, he made Miami final, also losing to Alcaraz, uh, semis of Mo- Montreal, I think it was, um, uh, and and yeah, and, and here. So I think it was one of the two. I think it was Montreal, but yeah. So, so he's you can make him, you can make adjustments and improve if, if you're kind of, if if you're smart and humble and just work hard hard working enough to do so and, and now sorry i'll just say and, and now all of the the comments about his his hardcore ability is just are just incredibly yeah. stupid now just I mean, seems my, so stupid my, miami final and us open final you're you're a great hardcore player at this point i mean he was very much not long ago in 2021 he was a vulture i mean he did skip the oh, for play, sure for sure play a string of clay 250s like yeah you know so so that's that is what it is but he's he's grown from that that vulture well, has he, grown into a uh, an eagle, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, he's he's improved, and and that that's all you can really ask from from a player like that. And I, I do think I do think he has a he has a ceiling in a, in a way that other players don't. But when opportunities are are open, that that doesn't necessarily mean he can't. It was it was, al- it was almost like he's not ever going to be Alcaraz, right? He's not going to be that kind of dynamic like player, but. No. It was almost good enough to win the U.S. Open this year. Yeah. Like, and there's no reason we referred to this years ago on the podcast as the Ronich rule, like saying eventually Ronich. Our theory it was, and this is, I forget if it was original theory to us or if Tom Tebbett said it or something, but like eventually that Ronich would win a Grand Slam. This is what we were thinking about then. Ronich would win a Grand Slam because eventually the level of tennis it took to win a Grand Slam would drop to where Ronich would be it, right? The big three would age, big four at that point would age out. And Ronich would still be there, and he would get it. That obviously didn't happen. And Ronich, I'm not sure if he's he hasn't played all year. I'm not sure if he's retired or what at this point with Ronich. 
sidebar. But um, yeah, uh, but with Rude, like, there's no reason why, like, certainly a French Open, there's no reason why Catherine can't win a French Open Clearly, or, yeah. one, one, or one of these hardcore tournaments. Like, he's he's stable in a tour that doesn't seem stable. And then I think also with Alcaraz, and this goes to sort of the field, like, you have to start, you know, and this goes to my reluctance to project anything. Like, you look at these seeds and, you know, I'll, I'll name Zverev in here too, even though he's absent from this tournament. Zverev, Tsitsipas, Oje Aliassime, Herkatch, Rublev, Taylor Fritz, uh, Berrettini, um, and then you have Shapovalov, for sure. Uh, Tiafo and Kyrgios, even if you want to throw them in there too. Uh, and then, you know, some older guys like your Yurinisha Koris, your Dimitrovs, your uh, Ronichs, again, it might be gone already. Uh, like, you don't know if those guys, if their window already passed. You know, you don't know. Like, some of those guys I named there, even some of the bigger names, like your Sitsipasas, your Zverevs, your Rublev, your Berrettini, I'll go out on a limb and say at least one of those four guys is not winning a Grand Slam in his career, just based on Bob averages, right? Like, that's just what it is. You never know. And it sucks for them because a lot of them, and I don't know if I mentioned Felix in there, but a lot of them have been so anointed so early, but just like it has to, certain things have to come together and, and Rude put it together in this, in this stretch and it wasn't enough, but he, he sees the moment. It's just, it's hard. It's hard sport. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's kind of been the theme of this, this podcast so far yeah. with, with regards to Shriantek, Alcaraz, then this is, a, this is a hard sport and nothing, nothing is given, yeah. you know, no, nothing is certain. For all nothing. we know, one of the, for all we know, one of them might not win a slam again. You never know. Like yeah. you just, you never know when it's, when it's the last sort of thing. If you look back at, at players, you know, like Serena, 2017 Australian Open, granted she was pregnant, which is a twist in it, but like, who would have thought with her winning that f- title without dropping a set that it'd be her last Grand Slam title, you know? Like, yeah. who would have thought that, uh, well, Federer was already kind of, when he won 2018 Australia, was already kind of older. Um, maybe it's a little more visible. Ma- Murray? I mean, Murray's a... a yeah, Murray, Murray, 2016 F- Wimbledon. Yeah. Finally got to number one, finally seemed to have positioned himself to win more, and then that was it. Yeah. Dapotro. Just, yeah, Dapotro, yes. Justine Ennen, you know, yeah. un- unbelievable season, seventh slam, and then yeah, that that, two thousand, that 2007 U.S. Open from Justine Ennen was unbelievably great. It was one yeah. of the best tournaments anyone's ever had, and that never never won a slam again. So it's, it's a hard sport. It's a, it's hard, a very hard sport. sport. Yeah. So anyway, just don't take things for granted. You never know the yeah. future. To, to circle back to the people we've, I mean, been talking about forever, and that's why it's just crazy what. Yeah. What these the longevity that these these players have been able to achieve and just cons- constantly do this through different phases of their career. Yeah. Uh, Want to mention a couple people we haven't mentioned Francis Tiafo we talked about but his run was great. Uh, he was you know one step from being the first American man in a Slam semifinal. Uh, sorry, sorry, Slam final I should say since uh, Andy Roddick 2009 Wimbledon. Uh, and he fell just short to Carlos Alcaraz. Very tough draw. No shame in losing to Alcaraz. And this was a, a level up from Tiafo in this in this tournament, beating Nadal, being the first man to hand Nadal a, a loss at a Grand Slam. As much as Nadal, people can say this like his best. Yeah. It's still yeah this this year of course. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it it it's still not easy to beat Nadal. Like no matter what, this is a this is a great great win for Francis Tiafo, and he should be proud of it. And, and yeah, back-to-back good years at the U.S. Open for him. I mean, being Rublev for a second straight year, he beat him again in the quarterfinals. Uh, poor Andre Rublev. Um, oh, uh, oh, it, it's, it's like, it's it's so, it's it's like beyond, 
emo at this point. And I know he's like a fan of like the black heart emoji and stuff, but like it's just it's tough to watch at points with with yeah. Love. Um, I hope I hope he's okay. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Tiafo gets there and and really is is the star. Like talk about like star potential. You know, we talk about like Shiontech winning or you know burning fans from her for winning. And Alcrest has that too, bit, but like Tiafo is just like so unbelievably charismatic and yeah. like likable as a player, and he's had that for a while. But that, that part's gotten even better, and the tennis has gotten way better, and he's become more disciplined. Um, and yeah, I mean, because you know, I was doing like an interview about him t- recently, and I said to them like, you know, like it wasn't even clear he was the best American, and I'm sure not. It's not even sure it's clear that he's the best American of this generation of the young group. But like he is by far the one with the star potential, right? Like you look at him, yeah, yeah. and he can he can just do things like the the ceiling for what Francis Tiafo can be in the sport. And you saw it with Michelle Obama showing up to the semifinal. Yeah, like it's it's pretty pretty cool. So Claire Henley said it well in something she posted where she was like, I don't think there's ever been a time when so many people have felt like they had like a friend of theirs in a semifinals with Francis Tiafo because he just is this like genuinely warm, likable person. And I sort of felt you know not called out by that, but I was like, oh, that does feel like me in some ways, because I've known Francis since he was, like, 15, because he, he, you know, grew up near me in D.C., um, or just outside D.C. for him, and, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a, I think it's a, it was a great ride, and, and he was one, if he'd won, it would have really felt kind of like an interregnum kind of slam, like, that he's, I don't think he, people think Francis is going to be number one, I don't think he, that's how people look at him, maybe he could be, I would love to be proven wrong by that, but I think, this could have been a kind of transition era kind of winner. Tiafa would have been a great winner, but kind of one that wasn't, was, wasn't going to, it would have been an unbelievable story for tennis. It would have been so great. But um, maybe not one that's yeah. like, people think like, here's the new king, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, too soon. Um, but, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And, and yeah, I'll just, well, a few things struck me about it. First of all, it's just funny when certain moments just pierce through and, on on Twitter, like obviously I follow people beyond just tennis, and yeah. all of these people who have, uh, I wasn't sure they knew what a tennis what tennis scoring was was sudden, were suddenly tweeting about TFO and how unbelievable he was and how you know how how enjoyable and great you know just live tweeting the whole matches and 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 you you can see just how how he draws people in obviously how he draws black black, black Americans in as well yes. and and and. And he's, you know, he talked about that a lot during his, his press conferences. He's, and the performances were obviously just, were just top quality. As you said, he was, he's more disciplined. He served unbelievably well against Nadal. He, he served incredibly. And then he served even, probably even better against Rublev. Didn't drop his serve. Broke, broke once in the, in, in the, um, broke once in the match. Mm-hmm. The, the tie breaks. The, how, how, he went eight, eight, he went eight nil in tie breaks. Unbelievable. Which is, the, the most, um, the most, I think it's the, the status for the US Open. No, no, no player has that. He, the record had been Sampras, who, who was 7 0, and, and TFO bettered that. And, yeah. you know, I, I was struck, particularly after his, um, his Nadal performance, when he, I asked him about his, his, his three consecutive fourth rounds. And obviously, we, we all consider that a good result for Francis, right? reaching the fourth round three years in a row and he was like you know I, I didn't when people would tell me that I didn't know how to take that you know fourth rounds okay it's fine but I want to be quarters and semis and more and 
you you can see you know it, yeah. obviously it's it's taken a while for him to for him for well for, firstly obviously he was a, a a star junior and had a lot of hype when he was younger and it's it's taken him a while for to match the the, the off court discipline and and doing all the right things off the court with with his his ability but he he clearly sees himself as as being able to do this you know he he has high high expectations he has high high hopes of, of what he can achieve in the sport and and i'm interested to see if if this is it, it, as we said it, it's a this is a hard sport this could be an anomalous result in his career or it could be the stepping stone to something yeah. bigger and and more consistent and he's fun he's in the top 20 now and he has the, the confidence now to, to know what he's capable of you know truly and so let's see let's you, let's see what what francis tifa has 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 for us you talked about it you didn't say it this bluntly but i think i had this experience in my time i can say of sort of like of black twitter signing on and getting excited about francis siafo yeah and yeah. and i would just I saw that and absolutely that was happening on my timeline too and i could see you know what tennis has been missing i mean no african-american man uh, had made a Grand Slam semifinal since Arthur Ashe, I believe. Yeah. And or since Malavai Washington, I should say. Mal Washington made one. Uh, made well, one semifinal final. of the U.S. Open was <laughs> was since Arthur yeah. Ashe. Yeah. Yes, it's, oh, that's right. That's that's that. So that's a that's a big thing that tennis is missing. People in, in the development, you know, of U.S. tennis, USTA kind of development, like scouting, like what's wrong with American men's tennis, constantly cited is not enough African American of you know boys. Are, are picking tennis they're picking other sports the best sort of you know of those athletes are picking picking other sports and so what you just saw you know what's been missing from tennis in some ways with with Tiafa making this run and it's a lot of burden on him in some ways to say because he's really the only you know that I know of him and I guess uh, Ben Shelton who's coming up younger Ben Shelton's really good and can be really really good player um, uh, but there just hasn't been that level of sort of, of, of from that whole massive demographic and massive part of you know american society uh, has not been represented in, in top level tennis and on the men's side and and that's be really cool to see and you saw sort of saw the possibility of what that would look like in this tournament so i it was fun and would have he would have been unbelievable champion my god yeah. if he'd won this tournament and i will say it, it was it was a very nice touch that they had james blake coming in coming on court to interview him a yeah. couple of times, or obviously the the previous prominent black black American player. Yeah. And but that, that also, just thinking about it, made the decision with with Taylor, <laughs> the the uncle, you know, the the uncle pres- yeah. prominent person there, even more kind of galling and and silly, you know, yeah. given that they they clearly made a point of of putting putting Blake and TFO together. There were uh, other options for. Yeah. For that women's double ceremony, it should not be a story. Who does the women's double ceremony? My God! All right. <laughs> um, one other, two other people I want to mention uh, here before we go on the men's side. Nick Kyrgios um, could have won this tournament also, and it was the odds makers favorite to win the tournament actually when it reached the quarterfinals. He had made the Wimbledon final. He played well in that Wimbledon final. He really could have won that match honestly against Djokovic. Djokovic was just that good that he stood up and delivered in that in that final. Uh, Medvedev is a top seed here. Kyrgios beats him in the fourth round pretty convincingly after a very tight really, first set. Really, really good performance. But was just like really good and he looked 
ready. And I'm not sure how much of it was the, I think a lot of it is the pressure of knowing it could be his time, but he loses in, in five sets in the fourth, in the quarterfinals rather to uh, Karen Hatchinoff. And um, it, you know, it seemed like it was a very painful loss for Nick and that it was something that, you know, he knew was the, was the, uh, a huge moment for him. And he's someone again, who, is playing his best tennis by far of his career this year. Um, most consistent and just best peak level. Uh, matches up really well against Medvedev, clearly we can see. Um, and maybe he goes into Australia with a shot to win that tournament. But his window is not long, I don't think. I don't think no. in terms of actually like winning a slam, I don't think Kyrgios has the sort of, I don't believe, has the long-term attention span to be like going into his 30s, you know, as a, as a person this way. Um, anyway, so... I just felt like mentioning him because he was such a, he was the favorite to win this tournament at the quarterfinals. Yeah. She was the and, pick. Yeah. And, and he, and he, he knew it. And, and that, yeah. that was, as you said, he was, he was devastated after. And that was, that was just an interesting, an, an interesting scene just because, you know, in the, of course, like in the past, he, he, he could, he could probably take tough, not even tough, take losses. And in the back of his mind, he knew, oh, I, I wasn't really, you know, I, I wasn't, Maybe I wasn't trying my hardest, exactly, or I wasn't prepared, exactly. or this or that. But you know, he 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 as well as he said, he he'd done all the right things, and he'd put himself in the position, and he knew he was more than capable of of, of it. I I also agree that I think his performance in against Kachanov, he was he he knew he knew what was on the line, and he couldn't bring out his best tennis, which is is obviously quite foreign to him as well, given that he considers himself a big match player who rises to the occasion and he he it was just interesting to see how he he fought until although he he was doing you know the the shouting at his box and you know complaining and all of that stuff in the match he actually fought until the end he he forced Kachanov to serve it out and to beat him he played until until the the finishing line and he, he just wasn't good enough and and so afterwards in in the press conference he was devastated and I, I asked him straight you know, di- directly, if if not knowing what he's capable of now makes it even more difficult, and he was like, "Yeah," he was like, "This is so heartbreaking." This is, you know, yeah. he was he no. was very. Sorry, I told him when he was on NCR, you know, three years ago as a guest, I asked him, you know, part of you not giving your all tennis because it'd be so much more painful to to put it all out there and and have it not be enough. And he was like, "Yeah, that's probably right." He's, you know, he's yeah. very, he's, he can be very self-aware about certain things. And, and I think that and, was, that's always been obvious as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now he's, and now you put it all out there and it wasn't enough this time. And that's a new kind of pain for Nick Kyrgios and a new kind of loss for him because, yeah. and also just like, this was the first time again, he was the pick to win this tournament, the quarterfinal stage. He was the oddsmaker's favorite. He had the momentum. He seemed like a very plausible champion. And so for him to not win it is, is rough. And so, yeah, we'll just see how he bounces back and, and, and yeah, it, it's, uh, interesting anyway i just didn't want to not mention him yeah. uh, and, and now there's yeah and now there's the important the the important thing to know which is that he, he has his this trial coming up trial here yeah. hearing yeah court date hearing up, absolutely at, at the yeah. beginning of october um in yeah it was supposed to be in, in canberra uh, according yeah. to australian news reports his his team had tried to to push it back further but they weren't able to that wasn't accepted that that, that. so yeah on october he will he has a hearing for alleged as assault against his ex-girlfriend so we'll, yeah. we'll we'll see how 
how that plays out and I think a lot of it will be public and and yeah definitely um, yeah and so we'll see how that goes I think he's scheduled I know he's going to play Tokyo and then he might not play again this year oh he's going to qualify for um, World Tour Finals with uh, doubles with I, think so, yeah. I don't know if he's going to go to that but he should go to that oh Caitlin Thompson texted me back the phrase for Brood was he was the oatmeal stallion was the phrase for, oh, for him it's a good phrase I think it was. I thought it was good. It stuck with me. Um, anyway, so that's that's curious. Uh, I want to briefly mention also Nadal, uh, who had not lost at a Grand Slam tournament before this year, comes in undercooked. Looked honestly, in retrospect, it was even clearer to see. Just rough. Um, he lost the first set to Rinky Hichikata in the first round. Uh, in that match, was way down early against uh, Fabio Fanini in the second round. Turned that match around, not before you know hitting himself in the face uh, with his racket. <laughs> Um, and knocking himself out. That was a wild scene. Then he gets the absolute gift draw of Gasquet, who he's incapable of losing to in any circumstance. And he loses to Tiafo. Um For Nadal, you know, I he was also in, you know, he was my pick to win this tournament probably before the tournament because he just has been so bankable. And he seemed to kind of play his way into form sometimes, but just wasn't good enough against Tiafo. And Tiafo was was good, but Nadal wasn't good enough. Um, he, he, he was, also, he, Tia, but Nadal, I should say, if he plays the fall, he should be number one soon. He's within, he's number three now. He's within striking distance. Like, it's not, it's, it's his worst part of the calendar by far. He's never won the World Tour Finals. He's never won Bear C. Um, but, like, he should I, be doing things. I, I think this might, if he, if he, obviously, but he's also having a kid, though. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, his, his, his wife, um, Mary, is, is pregnant, but. If he if he does play and if, you know in, in the right conditions, that might be one of his best best shots at the World of Finals. He's had, I think he's had a few big shots in the, the last few years. I think when you know, but I think this is a, a big chance for him. And he I should also say that he was he was pretty he, he was clearly quite not devastated but very, very even more dis, just visibly disappointed and frustrated in in his uncle in his no post-match press conference than, than I've seen in, in a while. It was funny, just the back and forth between journalists who had, wanted him to talk about Francis and talk about what, what his opponent had done well. And, and each time, Rafa was just like, well, well his, his conclusion was clearly, I, I, I allowed him to play well, basically. Yeah. I, I didn't... I, he, and it just went back and forth for a while. And and yeah, he, and he said... Sorry, it just he, he said one thing that just stuck with me was in these... 15 minutes coming off the court it's it's things are so dark and you know dark and obscure but in in time i i, I know i will be back and i'll, I'll be better and then, but he was he was very frustrated and and, and partly because sorry he, he he said he was training well and and he he felt good even though he didn't have matches behind him but as soon as the tournament started his level just dropped and he couldn't keep up he played against fornini one of the worst matches of ever particularly like the first couple of sets some of the yeah. worst tennis i've ever seen him play in my life yeah but and it just wasn't at the races really in new york yeah no and, and you know we don't talk about nadal having ego kind of the opposite in terms of saying every player is so great whatever but nadal thinks he should beat tiafo honestly like yeah, nadal yeah, yeah. knows tiafo and thinks that he should be, win that match and that's a disappointing loss for him to swallow clearly um yeah so that's a that's a yeah. Anyway, that, that's that's it all. That is the the men's tournament there. Um, we'll see how it, how it, yeah, an interesting year at the Slams. Uh, things are coming to fruition. I gotta say, I do feel like Wimbledon is a tournament that didn't translate almost anything. Like 
with the final with with Djokovic not playing and with Rubakina losing first round and no ranking points, it almost feels like that tournament didn't happen on some level. I don't know. It feels it feels very obviously it did, but it it just kind of feels like it's in its own sort of like what Pluto is to planets. I feel like Wimbledon was to slams this year. You know. Yeah, yeah. I in in a weird way, I feel like the fine the actual the final the two finalists that that did better that yeah. over. Well, yeah. just it carried it carried over as we talked about with Kyrgios. He came into the U.S. Open with the confidence that he could yeah. win the title, and then had to deal with not doing so. And and then Jabir, who, as as I said earlier, I think she was really sharp and assured and self confident and, and, and self assured until the final. Well, during the final as well, but she just didn't have enough against Trunte. Yeah. But but I, I agree that yes, it it does feel it 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 was quite. An, an, an anomaly in, in, in terms of the Grand Slam tournaments this year. Definitely. All right. That is tennis at the US Open. Tony Carroll, thank you very much for being on here. Yeah. And and thanks for allowing me to push back my, my um, jet lag. Oh, no worries. By, Glad by to have talking. you here and, and peppy <laughs> yeah. and yeah, you're awake. I mean, my rule is always if you're awake until sunset, you're okay on jet lag. So. You're the, sun getting, is setting, getting, the sun is setting, so... Yeah. yeah, you're doing good. Congratulations on that. Uh, enjoy Thank Davis you. Cup in uh, in Scotland, your first time in Scotland. And, uh, yeah, I'm curious. Anything else to look forward to this year? Oh, the World Tour... Uh, sorry, WTA Finals have been announced. They're going to be in Fort Worth, Texas. That is news since we last uh, recorded. It's, uh, as of now, just a one-year deal, I believe, uh, to host yeah, it there. But yeah. uh, Fort Worth is metro area of Dallas. Dallas is a lot more... is much more of a world city, so people might recognize Dallas. Um, it's the same metro area as Fort Worth, but the arena is in Fort Worth. So it'll be interesting to see a bunch of players who already qualify for that. Uh, could get probably two Americans in the field. I think it looks like both Pagula and Coco Golf will qualify. Yeah, yeah. So that's good for the hosts. And possibly Collins or Keys, I think, are on the bubble if they have uh, good results. So it could be three Americans even. Um, yeah, so that's that's that. And other oh, other news. Obviously, oh, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, in the fine print of, of the announcement of, of Fort Worth was Shenzhen possibly returning next yeah next year. so so that 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 i think was interesting i think i saw something from there was some follow-up i think from chris clary's article that wartimes didn't have because wartime kind of was like up in arms about it a bit in his in his 50 parting shots but i think that clary heard from steve simon that like basically that's like if china meets our demands like they can have it back but like that's it's an if and that seems like it's still like an impasse for sure yeah so yeah. um i wouldn't take that too too seriously but yeah but Shenzhen still does have the contract yeah <laughs> so hosting it for 10 years notable, yeah. and they've done one year so far um that's interesting to see when, if and when and how tennis comes back to china because uh yeah it's uh it's over there it's actually just coming back to japan for the first time at like an actual non-olympic tournament uh next week um yeah so and and auckland's coming back online next year which hasn't been gone which has been gone for a while uh, it's coming back in 2023, and also um, there's this new United Cup, which we're going to hear more details about soon. But the the ATP Cup, which no one asked for, uh, seems to be no more, and they're going to bring in this ATP, United Cup pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. And I don't know. I kind of still think that like tennis was kind of fine in 2019. That week. I thought it was a great week of the year. I love that Brisbane tournament as like a really strong 500 for the women, and it was a good 250 for the men. And you know. It, I don't know. It seemed like a lot of reinventing the wheel that first week of the year. But I'm excited for possibly 
this you know mixed team competition we've always wanted to actually be a big thing and to have see you know things like a Bedosa Alcaraz team and a Sitsipas Sakari team and a Hercash Sviantec team like that's that could be cool like if it goes if it goes really well there's a big upside for this event I really yeah. think yeah so all right and and I, I guess we'll just you, you mentioned what to look forward to we'll, we'll see whether or not Federer appears oh yeah Federer's supposed to come back that guy um, yeah, Federer's supposed to come back in a week yeah at Labor <laughs> at, Cup, at Labor yeah. Cup. Which, I would imagine I would imagine he would be doubles only at Labor Cup. I would have yeah, to think yeah. if he does well, play. If, if he, anything, yeah. If he plays, yeah. And then he would have Basel on his schedule too. And you know, I think he said something or there's some there's some interview where he made some reference to Wimbledon twenty twenty three. I think. So I don't have retirement on full alert for Federer saying a sudden farewell because Basel would be a place to do it for him potentially. Um and if if we lose, if, if Federer falls straight out, this would be definitely the biggest, it's already the biggest retirement year in a very long yeah. time. But, but I think surely after after seeing Serena and, and how she went out and, and managed to engineer a great send off, he would want that. He he's he would strive for that. It's funny because now that's the conclusion. But someone I was talking to someone in Cincinnati said the opposite after she lost her, being like, yeah, I wonder if yeah. Federer sees this and is like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want that. And so, yeah, it's tough. I mean, with Serena, yeah, Serena again deserves credit for turning it around because it was it was rough at the start of her comeback this year. Um, tennis ain't easy. Yeah, no, that is not easy. This has been easy. It's been a pleasure, Tumani. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. This was a long episode, and uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. We'll find a place where there's room